as we grow and develop feedback, the sports are not right. Feedback tends to be less frequent, but what if we went back to more of like uh, mimicking the formative years of like, as people grow and as they develop, because, you know, thinking about it from a corporate standpoint, there's, there's always these cycles, right? You come in, you're new to the job. You've got that whole cycle. Um, you know, maybe then you're promoted. That's a whole nother cycle. Then, then you go from individual contributor to manager. That's a whole nother cycle. Then you go from leader to director. That's a whole nother cycle, right? So I think, you know, what, what if we went back to the idea that the structure of giving more frequent feedback, similar to what we do to developing athletes and, I honestly think, speaking as as one of them myself, that that was also something that was missing in the corporate world. It was that constant feedback. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent Fail. How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns high-performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with the ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing a former elite athlete, turned mental performance coach who is revolutionizing the way student athletes train their minds with her company Performance Reimagined. She is a political science graduate from the University of Michigan and took her uh, MA of Labor and Employment Relations at the University of Cincinnati. Her career has included human resource roles at companies such as DRS Technologies, Maya Tool, Paycor, and Hobart Service, and was also the Chief Learning Officer at Let Go, which is quite fascinating. So sit back and relax. Let's dive into the world of mental performance coaching with the co-author of MicroShift, founding member of Success Champion Networking Cincinnati, and a former NCAA Division I college swimmer, Lauren Ammon. Lauren, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. I'm so happy to be here. Ah, beautiful. And so you're over there in the USA, and so it's good to be talking with someone across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, What was life like as a child, and what was kind of the big dream? What was in your mind when you were a young kid? Life as a child was fantastic. Uh, I, as you, as you mentioned, I was a swimmer. I started swimming when I was five years old, and while I don't remember falling in love with the sport, that's how I felt. I felt absolutely and incredibly in love with the sport and just loved being around the water, loved being around my teammates, loved being around people who had just as a, just as much as ambition, maybe sometimes more ambition than me in order to kind of reach that level. Uh, and the big dream was always two big dreams, right? As a swimmer, as particularly here in the US and, and also across the pond in Australia, right? As swimming is a big is a big sport. It's a bit, very competitive sport. So the dream was always hoping to make it to the Olympics. Uh, any anything below that was to be a D one swimmer. So I was able to make be the D one swimmer, but never quite made it close to the Olympics. So I made one dream. Uh, that's <laughs> good. It's always it's always important to have a big vision, and I think we all. Uh, maybe just go there a little bit now. I I think a lot of people get caught up in saying yes in life. And I find that when you've got a huge, when you're very, very clear and you have clarity on your vision, it's very easy to say no. And so obviously having that, that vision as a young child to go to the Olympics as a swimmer, uh, it allows you to say no to all the things that can detract you from, you know, achieving that. Um, So for you, when you look back, what sort of things would you say no to as a child so that you could perform at your best as a swimmer? 
Holy cow, that is a phenomenal question because it's not until you literally started the question, I thought to myself, yeah, I actually was pretty good at that as a child and as an adult, that's where I struggled. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Um, Saying no, I think as a child was all about, how do I say this? Like saying no to some of the social interactions with non-athletic friends um, simply because maybe the the hours were a little bit later than when I wanted to stay out or there were times when I felt more connected to my athletic friends than I did my non-athletic friends. And so I think my inclination at the time when I was younger was to say no to the non-athletic things in my life. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And obviously now that you're in the world you're in, obviously trying to keep a nice balance on athletes so that they don't become so tunnel visioned and single-minded purely on athletic performance. So it goes against maybe what, what you may have done when you're a child. And so when you reflect on that now, how important is it when you do have, when you're highly focused on something and you're a high achieving person and you're driven towards um, some excellence in some area, how important is it to also have things outside of that to give you a little bit more balance in life? I think it's super important. And while I say all of this in my life, right, I think a lot of my experiences in terms of being so laser focused and swimming became challenges when I was no longer a high performing athlete, right? I think my biggest struggle was I didn't necessarily know who I was outside of the sport. I didn't know a lot of my strengths in relation to quote unquote normal life versus swimming life. Uh, So that is actually something that we really infuse into our coaching process, into our coaching and training when it comes to athletes is to help them understand who they are outside of their identity as an athlete, but also be conscious not to take away so much of their identity as an athlete. It's about finding more of that balance for them uh, and supporting them and understanding who they are and what they're really good at and how that might apply after they're done because every athletic career comes to an end um, and how they might be able to utilize those skills in the non-athletic world, but also do a more effective job of translating what they learned as an athlete into the real world. Mm, I, I like that. You know, identity is such a key, key component. And, you know, we see a lot of athletes and a lot of young children who get highly focused on my identity is I am a swimmer and Mm -hmm. they've got so many other great characteristics and as you say talents that um, outside of their sporting world that are super important to think about you know I am Craig I swim rather than I am a swimmer, my name is Craig. <laughs> and and I think it's the same in the corporate world or same in any sort of area. You know, if so, a lot of people tie their identity to something that is, um, that is specific uh, rather than more the collective who they are. So you talk about there of trying to find that balance between your identity in something. So being really good at something versus your identity as a whole human being. Can you explain a little bit further? Yeah. So, and and I'll use kind of what I'm learning about myself, even in the quote unquote real world, now that I'm nearly 20 years removed from the athletic world, um, that, you know, my identity was established long before I became a swimmer, though I I became a swimmer at five years old, so I didn't have too many years ahead of me. Um, But that identity was established and what swimming allowed was to bring those strengths to the surface through that medium. And that's kind of no different than somebody who becomes like a dancer or a singer or a musician or whatever the case may be. It's like those strengths are brought through that medium. Hmm. And but where, where the challenge is, is that those, those two things become so intermixed, right? You think to yourself, oh, I'm good at this in swimming. There's really no way, right? The thought is, there's really no way I could be good at this outside of swimming, right? And I didn't learn literally until 20 years after this whole experience was over, like, oh, no, I learned a lot of things of like how to work with other people, like how to recognize my own strengths 
how to honor and recognize somebody else's strengths, how to lean on somebody when, you know, I didn't necessarily have the whole package and they they came in. I, I learned how to listen to a coach or a leader. I learned how to um, uh, effectively challenge that coach or leader in a way so that it was mutually beneficial. And so it's like being able to, to separate the two things of what your strengths are inside the arena of where they've come to light and see that they can be used and transferred into a whole new world. It's just that you got to be really intentional about that, right? And that was part of my challenge. It was just like, okay, my swimming career is over. So therefore, everything I was good at gets kept in the box with all my awards and nothing else could ever be opened again. When really a lot of the strengths that I had already had, it's just that swimming allowed them to be amplified and developed. I didn't necessarily know how to take them out of the box or keep them with me to carry into the corporate world and in, 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 in terms of leadership and those sorts of things. So what we help athletes realize is that you already have a number of great skills. You're learning them, you're amplifying them. Here's a way that hang on to them, make sure you're cognizant and you're aware of them. Here's how they can support you when you transition to a life that doesn't include soccer, basketball, baseball, swimming, whatever the case may be. Mm, I like this idea that, you know, you have your unique gifts and talents and strengths as a human being. It's it's then been able to how do you how do you utilize them or bring them out of a toolbox, so to speak into the platform where you are at that time in life, like you are, a, you know, when you're a swimmer or, or when you are a nurse or when you are a student or uh, when you become a parent, how can you bring those tools out of there uh, and apply them? And I think something, and, and I find this, um, oh, I've said this once or twice and I might get myself in trouble here sometimes, <laughs> but I see a lot of people who go through uh, like, like an international coaching accreditation not in sport, but in like leadership or, or well-being or, or sort of helping people with life's type thing. And quite often, all they want to do is find the uh, what's wrong. And they're always mm -hmm. looking for what's wrong. And then, and a lot of the times, like, and I know I go and help new coaches out and say, look, I'll be, you know, your, I'll go and be a participant for you. And so you can coach me and then you mm -hmm. know, help you get your hours, etc. And so I always like to put them in a position where, look, you know, I don't have anything I want to work on, but what I'd like to know is I do this really, really well. And people keep telling me, but I don't know how I do it. Can you unpack that for me? And in the sport, we do that really, and many sport coaches do this well, but I find in executive coaching or life coaching, people aren't so good at it. And it, and it is really, it's the essence of what we should be finding out is really understanding how someone what are someone's unique gifts and then how can we actually apply that so they can be the best possible person um so how yeah how, how can people kind of make that shift as a leader or as a coach to unpack what people are good at rather than trying to always look for that problem yeah that's a phenomenal question and i think it's one of the pillars and pinnacles of leadership is really understanding yourself in the idea of what are my strengths, right? And and I say this from personal experience is that I had a hard time separating myself from swimming, right? There was a long time I thought that is really the only thing I'm good at because that's the only thing I knew how to do, right? <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't until, until I became conscious, right? And going back to, wait a minute, here's all the skills that I learned or that were amplified in swimming. Here's how I can bring them to the non-athletic or the non-swimming world. And I think one of the greatest pillars of, of leadership is really understanding yourself. Because when you can look at yourself, embrace yourself and accept yourself and say, hey, this is what I'm really good at. That's when it makes it easier to look at someone else and say, gosh, that's what they're really good at. They're their talents. How do I, how do I, as a leader, if you're looking at it from the corporate world, like how do I embrace what I know I'm really good at? How do I pull out what they're really good at and help them realize they have so many gifts they may not necessarily see and, you know, verbalizing that, bringing awareness to it. And quite honestly, I think the first step is really understanding who you are and in looking at you and saying, I don't just have problems. I have gifts. Mm. How do I bring those to the surface? And then how do I support? Once I figured that out, how do I open the door for others to see it about themselves? 
Yeah, so so valuable. One of the things that you know we know in sport is that generally you know where you stand in the world. You know where your picking order is. Um, you know whether you're number one, number two, etc. It's it's quite defined. And as Simon Sinek would talk about the the finite game, you have a finite set of rules and understanding where you are. Whereas in the corporate world, it's very much the infinite game where you have no idea who is the best tech company in the world. We don't know. We don't know what the rules are. We don't know what the parameters are. There is no set defined playing field that can determine who is better than someone else. Uh, it's the same as a leader or same as a prime a mm-hmm. president or prime minister. We, we can't actually determine who is the best. There is no rules around it or finite um, parameters. So that shift from you being an athlete going into, you know, you had a big career in the world of human resources. How was that shift for you, that mentality of knowing today I'm going out to compete as a swimmer and I will know at the end of today how well I've performed, not only against myself, but against someone else uh, versus now I'm working in a world where I have no idea where I stand today in the world. Yeah, that was that was really hard, quite honestly. And and you actually articulate it in a way that I don't know that I ever have, but you brought so much light to it. That was one of my biggest challenges. I I didn't know the rules of the game and therefore I I didn't I had a really hard time figuring out how I fit into the world, what my role was, and actually how to really be successful in that space. And I felt for a very long time in the corporate world, very, very lost, very out of place. Um, and oftentimes, and maybe most particularly when I perceived that the rules were constantly changing or the perceptions of what success really meant were not defined or, again, constantly changing, that's where that's where my biggest personal struggle was because I was so used to that finite world and could grab onto it versus the the more nebulous world um and would grab onto it every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every performance year, and then it would change. Um, but at the same time, I also kind of see that as in some ways a blessing. Right. So there, there is a way to to shift and mold and be a little bit more flexible. But I don't I didn't see that at the time. And so that was my biggest challenge is I just like, just give me something that I can hang on to and then I can work towards that versus let me kind of figure this out and mold and shift and figure it out on my own. Mm. Isn't, it, isn't it fascinating? You, It's kind of looking at an artist in a way versus an athlete. An, an artist has a blank canvas where they can, there are no rules, right? They can create whatever they like. Whereas when you're an athlete, you're very much confined to, here is a set of rules. This is, you've you got to convey to these. Yes, you can try and push the boundaries, but generally they'll bounce back at you. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, when you move, you, you're kind of, I think a good analogy for a, an athlete transitioning is you're now shifting from an athlete to being an artist. And so how can you express yourself and your unique talents on a blank canvas, so to speak, where the rules aren't as clear and may not even be there? Yeah, and that's a phenomenal analogy. And that is part of how we've built and how we've structured some of our coaching practice is, again, to support athletes and seeing that a little bit earlier in their journey. So that once they go from athlete to artist, that it's not this culture shock. It's not this as big of a culture shock. It's not this like shock to the system of, holy hell, who am I? How do I operate in this world? Is At least I have a better understanding of who I am. Then I can figure out the rules of the game or potentially help influence the rules of the game if I know where my strengths are and how I can bring that to the table in order to find a little bit of comfort, at least in the beginning. And then how do I push that in order to grow and develop? Mm. As a as an athlete, you know, many athletes, you know, develop you develop such great skills, you know, discipline, determination, how to set goals. Um, resilience, how to deal with failure. You know, you, you think about a sport like swimming, you've generally got eight or 10 people in a pool at any one time. 
Uh, you may have heat semis finals. So you've got one in maybe 50 chance of winning your particular event um, there. And and so you're going to lose, depending on how you define winning and losing. But if you look at yeah. pure performance versus time and placings, you're going to lose more than you're going to win unless you're a phenom like a Katie Ledecky or a Michael Phelps. And so you build up this level of, you know what, I can get back up every time I get knocked down in a way, which I think is really important. So we, we, we learn all these great skills, but then we get thrown into the real world and we're very good. We, we work hard and we get results because we figure stuff out and we problem solve. And next minute we're thrown into a management role or a leadership role because we're good at what we do. And or we figure, we're good at figuring stuff out. And then we go, and then quite often we see the athletes flounder. Mm-hmm. And they, they get into a space where they, they, they want to showcase they're good because they've always been good at doing something. But at the same time, they have this real imposter syndrome kicking in. And, and they've got a real big fight internally inside their head. So... What can, I suppose, employers and companies do to support athletes better when they come in, knowing they are going to be, they do have a whole lot of unique talents they've built and developed over time that will be great in the workforce, but how can we support them in a way that allows them to really thrive in the workplace? Yeah, I'm I'm going to talk from my own personal experience because I don't know that I had this aha moment until long after. Um, is the idea that you know a- athletes are coachable? They're 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 used to every single day showing up, being handed a practice, being handled handed a workout, and basically saying, "Hey, go figure out how to make this work for you." Right? They're they're given a playbook, literally, sometimes depending on the sport or a workout to say, Hey, this is already done. Go figure out how to make this work. And I think sometimes that's where the, it gets lost in translation. And that in as particularly in, in the corporate world and understandably, so it's like, Hey, you're really good at figuring something out, but you're also really good at figuring something out when there's something to build off of versus coming into a blank canvas and just, you know, making it up. Right. You know, no, I shouldn't say no athlete. I would think that some athletes would love to come in and build their own workouts, but most of us would just like to walk and be like, hand it to me. <laughs> Let me make it work. Um, so I think from a corporate standpoint is, you know, embracing the idea of all these skills, but also being cognizant and accepting of up to this point that a lot of what they've done has been handed to them, not in terms of like their their results are handed to them. No, they had to actually get to the results has been handed to them. So being a little bit more aware of, hey, maybe you need to build a little bit more structure for them to see, again, what the rules of the game are, help them give them a foundation to build from versus the idea of just saying, oh, they're an athlete, they'll figure it out. Yes, 99.9 of athletes will figure it out, but it will likely require a foundation to build from and some rules of engagement in the game to learn from and then be able to to move and develop forward. Mm. I I really feel that humans are boundary-seeking beings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in life, we get thrown on a, a little bike and we pedal really fast and we fall off and we get back up and we try going faster or we try to go down a hill or we try and go around a corner quicker and we you know every now and then we fall off and we learn what the boundary is uh and that happens all through life and so i think that's a really good point there where we do need to give them a playbook or or a boundaries but we need what's really important in this day and age flexible boundaries so mm-hmm. here are the boundaries, here are the guidelines, but you've got freedom to, to express yourself in that. Um, but if you just give them full flexibility and freedom and they are not that natural uh, creative person in a way, I, mean, I shouldn't say creative, um, but natural person who can go from scratch, it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there likely are some out there who can, like the, kind of that manifester, right. Just in that idea of, Hey, just give me a nebulous idea and I'll, I'll create something. And I love the idea of it's like flexibility within a framework. Cause you know, that's the other side of the equation is that most athletes, like generalization, I understand 
like boundaries, but not boundaries that are so tight that they can't figure out how to do it the way they want to do it. You know, if you equate it back to, you know, an athlete is that not every athlete's body works in the same way. What a coach figures out is how to utilize their literal mechanics to get what they need or or want from whatever, however they're designed. So it's kind of like translating the same thing of like recognizing, hey, are they someone who can kind of manifest, quote unquote, something from scratch or do they need more of a guideline? And that requires attention and really figuring out the human, you know, whether it be a part of the interviewing process, once the onboarding process and really digging into what it is that makes them tick and figuring out how do I get the most out of them? Because that's what their coach has done for their entire athletic career. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. When we when we think about the sport world, up until maybe when they get more elite, where the coach might be a little bit more hands off, but especially when they're young and, and their their formative years as an athlete, uh, you don't have to be an elite athlete here, by the way. It's just sort of any sort of athlete, any sort of sport. The, the coaches are giving them feedback, uh, both, you know, what they're doing well, encouragement, but also areas that they can improve. And it's happening all the time. So the feedback loop is tight. In in the corporate world, we see a very loose or non-existent feedback loop and quite often we will blame an employee for not performing when realistically it comes down to leadership and our ability to actually give effective feedback or create a, a whole culture of nurturing rising talent in a way where the feedback loop is tight so, so what can companies do and teams do to try and build a tighter feedback loop where we were learning and we're able to learn from the mirrors that other people hold up every single day. Well, I actually think you kind of alluded to the answer, at least from my perspective, is that idea that as, as we grow and develop feedback, sports or not, right? Feedback tends to be less frequent, but what if we went back to more of like uh, mimicking the formative years of like as people grow and as they develop because you know thinking about it from a corporate standpoint there's there's always these cycles right you come in you're new to the job you've got that whole cycle um you know maybe then you're promoted that's a whole nother cycle then then you go from individual contributor to manager that's a whole nother cycle then you go from leader to director that's a whole nother cycle right so i think you know what if, what if we went back to the idea that the structure of giving more frequent feedback similar to what we do to developing athletes and I honestly think, speaking as as one of them myself, that that was also something that was missing in the corporate world. It was that constant feedback. And it wasn't necessarily always the pat on the back that I was seeking. It was actually more or less like, what am I not doing? Like, where are the gaps? Please don't just wait until my quarterly review or my biannual review or Lord forbid, my annual review and lay all this stuff on me. And then I had no idea even if I was asking, right? A lot of times, even when employees ask, leaders can kind of skirt around the situation. Oh, you're fine. It's no big deal. You know, you're doing great. We'll figure it out. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get the annual review and you see all these things and you're like, why Why was that never addressed? Or why wasn't that addressed at a deeper level for me to, you know, see the blind side and be able to, to get past it? But I would, I would beg the question, like, what if we went back to a more frequent, more, more, um, deep and immediate kind of feedback loop within the corporate world to to really support growing and developing talent at any level, individual contributor up to C-suite leader, quite honestly. Yeah, and the other industry that does this really well is your, you know, your Navy SEALs, um, mm-hmm. your Top Gun, your fighter pilots type thing. They, the military, they do it very, very well. Um, but outside really of you know, say your sport and your your performing arts and kind of in music, etc., and and the military, the corporate world doesn't really have this structure. Um, but it's easy to, to establish. You know, if you can put in a practice of, you know, we've talked a lot about gratitude over the last couple of years, a uh, few years, and yes, there should be gratitude. Acknowledge what people do on a daily basis where you can, but then also how do you implement 
from a meeting or a team point of view giving feedback and it it's not just cheerleading feedback it's not from the sidelines you hey you're amazing that was great you're awesome <laughs> today because that's just a nice sugar hit and it lasts about 10 minutes and then we're like oh okay that was great but what did i actually do and what didn't i do and as you say like getting that feedback where you can actually share exactly specific or exact specifics around what they did well so this is what you did well because then that forms positive behavior which will actually remove a lot of things that they may not be doing so well just by actually getting them to focus on hey this was good stick to that because that'll help you get getting better but then when you position the the feedback um, around what they can work on is about taking the removing the person from the problem <laughs> and something that we've been able to do really really well here over the last couple of years is, is focus on taking out the words you and why in your feedback and because as soon as you say you then it becomes a personal attack as soon as you say yeah. why then it it, it it puts their back up they're like well why did you do this why haven't you done this and so actually positioning them around seeing it as like a third space in a way where here's the problem and saying look this is what I observed. This is what I felt. My encouragement to you is so starting sentences like that then allow you to share really, really powerful, strong feedback. And you can hold up a really uh, powerful mirror, but it doesn't feel like a personal attack. And that's when you're going to get that really um, supercharged learning environment where people grow quickly and performance then takes over after that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Super powerful. Like why is one of the greatest questions, but it can also be one of the most detrimental. <laughs> yeah. And, and it doesn't mean removing the word why, because at the right time, why is a great yes. question. Yes, and going exactly. deeper, but you've got to have permission yes. first to do that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's funny is you were saying that, you know, I, I always joke that um, one of my strengths because I was an athlete is personal responsibility, right? Particularly as a swimmer that, in, if I wanted a performance to go the way that I wanted to go, it was all on me, provided outside of a relay, we'll take relays off the table, right? If I if I wanted to, you know, by the time I was up on the block and dove in the water, I was responsible for it. So that I have one of the, that's one of my strengths. But I also see that as one of my overused strengths in that as an athlete, I can have a tendency to take everything on, figure out how I can be better. So Honestly, I will say that I was often as an athlete looking for a manager to say, no, 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 put me in the equation. Like, what was it about my behavior that you saw that I could, you know, do better? And 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 I didn't see it as a personal attack only because I, I shouldn't say that. That was <laughs> there were times, depending on how it was delivered, that I saw it as a personal attack. But I could welcome it, but but because oftentimes I can use my personal responsibility as an overused strength, which can turn into my detriment. Mm. So it is about finding that really powerful balance from a leadership standpoint and understanding what your employees really want to hear. What are they open to hearing? What are they willing to hear? And what are they capable of hearing? Um, I think that is one of the most powerful leadership qualities is first of all knowing yourself and being courageous enough to know every single employee that you have for who they are as an individual and how they can receive and what they want to receive from you have you done gallop strengths before yes okay good that's i was starting to hear that come through a little bit there around your responsibility <laughs> taking over and i think it's important for people to note whether you've uh if you haven't ever checked out gallop um strengths go online gallop is probably the, the largest researching company in the world around human behavior and performance. It, it's phenomenal what they have there. Um, but for every strength you have, yes, if you maximize it, it can become a strength, but if you, if you, in other ways, it can also become like a basement to you or can become a detriment. Um, and what you say there, you know, responsibility helped you become a highly effective swimmer, but in the wrong times you can take on responsibility for everything which becomes overbearing and overwhelming and then performance drops because you you can't fit everything in anymore and i have the mm -hmm. same strength in my top five it is 
it is the one that will fall into the basement the most because I want to take responsibility for everything, um, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. But l- let's dive into the inner side of human beings and really look at the mental side here because uh, it's the one thing that can hold us back and it's the one thing that can really accelerate us if trained well. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't spend much time working on their their mental side or the the voice that's in their head and you know how they're preparing themselves for whether it be an athlete or whether it be for work or or being even being a parent in a conversation with their child so what are the things you really notice in people in regards to their i suppose their inner voice and how can we kind of take control of that inner voice so it doesn't become detrimental? Yeah, and in our practice, we like to call it your inner opponent, right? To really kind of fit with uh, the athlete brand, you know, that we have. And the idea that, you know, our inner opponent serves a purpose, right? It's there from a protection standpoint. And, you know, kind of, if you want to kind of get into the psychology of all, it's kind of tied to our primitive brain and survival and making sure that we stay on this planet, right? Um, you know, one of the, the, the sayings that really, like, helped me before I really understood this at a, at a, at a deeper level as I do now is the idea that you don't have to, you don't have to believe everything you think, right? Your, your, every thought you have, isn't necessarily rooted in fact or truth. Uh, oftentimes it can be your brain, your mind filling in the blanks if you don't have all the answers, or you don't have all the data, right? So part of that, you know, if we look at it from the athletic standpoint is that every athlete on the planet is training for something that's well into the future. And if we're being honest with ourselves, have absolutely no control over that thing until we get to that moment right mm-hmm. so they're they're training and, and working on hope and prayer that 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 all of their work put into it is going to work out in the end and and that's a great strength too is having that hope and that perseverance and and you know wanting to 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 work for something bigger than yourself that even if you can't see it um but oftentimes because we're we're so future focused and so outcome focused as a society, right? This is kind of the the condition of the human spirit, right? Is that's where our inner voice, our inner opponent, can can fill in blanks when we can't see everything, when when things can't be controlled, and when we when there are questions and 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 we don't have all of the answers. And you know, one of the first things we talk about with athletes is that, you know, the root of your performance, and this goes for corporate leaders as well, or anybody in the corporate spaces, the root of your performance is your thought. Right? So if you want to change your performance and your results, change the thoughts you have around yourself, the situation, or your team around you. And that's easier said than done, obviously, because we've all spent so many years and decades like you know, gathering, quote unquote, all this data and creating these these thoughts and these belief systems that aren't necessarily changeable overnight or in a hot second. But one of the things that we work on is, you know, allowing at least athletes the thought process that you you, you don't have to fully believe the thought quite yet, right? Try on the thought, see if it works for you, right? And if, the th- if, if your inner opponent's thought is so heavy and you don't know how to get past it, try a new one. Try, try the exact opposite thought of what you're thinking. How does that work for you? And, you know, a lot of what we do is experimentation because we like to meet every athlete, just like in corporate America, every leader where they are and saying, hey, does that work for you? Okay, Lauren, that works for you. Craig, that doesn't work for you. Craig, we're going to find something else. Um, But I think at the end of the day, if we can hang on to the belief that you don't have to believe everything you think, and oftentimes your brain is just trying to fill in holes it can't answer, that opens up a whole new level of awareness of, oh, maybe I can think a different way. Mm. It's uh, easier said than done, especially oh, for sure. around, around <laughs> the way the brain forms what is truth, um, what, what is your version of the truth. Um, I don't think we can ever say there is a truth in the world because it's all uh, blurred in a way by our own meaning of what we make of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But one of the things I wish 
I had ex- um, had exposure to when I was an athlete was around limiting beliefs and been able to create a belief change. And I know you mentioned it early in the session. Uh, it's it's something that a lot of people do more in the midlife crisis and, and they've got a life coach and next minute we're doing limiting beliefs. What's holding you back from when you were a kid? And it'd be so good if if we had people working in this space to draw that out when we're younger. Um, so for those who don't know, do you want to explain a limiting beliefs and and how you can approach them so that that inner opponent becomes your friend, not your foe? Yeah. So, you know, I have a unique kind of view on limit. There's different levels of limiting beliefs that, that we talk about with our athletes or that I've come to adopt. And, and some of this is this, all of this is influenced from all this training and all this education that I've done in the mindset space of, you know, if you're looking at like the, how I like to say it is like, um, how do I want to say it? Uh, like the least stress inducing, I'll say to the most stress inducing. Right. Um, so looking at it from the least stress inducing, a limiting belief is what I call a limiting belief is something that we've adopted as a society. Like think of it almost like a stereotype, for example. Right. If you're thinking about it from the corporate world, like I'm 45 years old, there's absolutely no way I can leave the corporate world now and start my own company. Who, who, who's to say that's not true? Hmm. Right. L- look at all the people who have done that. Right. And it's really working with clients in that respect is really think figuring out where does that limiting belief come from? Where's where might you adopt? How is it at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter where it comes from, right? It comes from, you know, whether it be our parents, our friends, or you know, just general societal expectations. Um, but it's figuring out how is that limiting you? For an example in the athlete world was no one can ever break the four-minute mile. Hmm. Well. <laughs> we've all seen that can be done. Right. Um, and then once it was done once, you know, the, the record kept getting lower and lower and lower and lower because we were debunking the limiting belief that the human body could not possibly do that. Um, another level of limiting belief that we work on with, with athletes that can work in any um, form is what we call an interpretation, right? It's, it's, it's your opinion of what's happening. So, you know, for I use it, the example I used to use in corporate America was, you know, you're sitting in a meeting and, you know, Craig, you and I are having a conversation. You may use what I perceive to be an aggressive tone or an agitated tone. And the thought in my mind then becomes, well, Craig's mad at me. And so then my behavior then becomes, I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive to you when I have literally no evidence and no data to show that you were mad at me, you could have just gotten an email from whomever who, you know, the customer service guy who's, you know, annoyed with something. And there's just been this like hellish client, right? It's again, it's all of the things we fill in the blanks to make what we think, quote unquote, true. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And so, yeah, I mean, I think being able to one recognize those, I think, is so important, and to have someone there that can guide you through around, you know, being able to change the way that you see it, or try from the other side. It makes you think. You know, we have Malcolm Gladwell, who I'm sure who you know quite mm-hmm. well, um, mm-hmm. who had a great book called Tipping Point, which. Uh, it's, it's quoted or misquoted quite often around the 10,000 hours to mastery, um, you know, which is, which in general terms means that if you want to be able to be excellent at something or perform at a very high level, then you need to be putting in a lot of hours focusing on the right things. I, I, a friend of mine talked to me about the importance of having 10,000 experiments so not just 10,000 hours, but 10,000 experiments. But the one we added to it that I love the most is the 10,000 exposures. And you were talking about this before about exposing yourself to different situations. And I kind of, what's sitting in my mind at the moment is the, is you quite often see, and I used to live in Asia and I'm, I'm going to um, go back to some times there where I observed a few things happen where there were some kids that would sit on the driving range and would would be perfect on the driving range, but they had zero 
exposure in competing against high quality people and with crowds. So they would always crumble when they went to compete. Uh, and so the importance of, you know, as people in the corporate world or whatever you're doing in life or as a student is not only to get out there and to, to put the hours in, but you've also got to experiment and you've also got to expose yourself to different environments because that's where you learn and, and be open mm -hmm. to receive feedback or, or to observe in those different exposures. Um, so for you, when you're working with athletes, how, how often, like, how are you trying to get people to step outside their, their comfort zone in a way to expose themselves to different levels of, um, you know, uh, factors, uh, whether it be both mentally and physically to, to take them to another level. The sheer fact that we're talking about the concept that you can train your mind like you train their body. I think that in and of itself is a new exposure for them, right? That, you know, those who are coming to to our table are recognizing, hey, there's an opportunity to train differently and exposing them to, I mean, we talk about the things like limiting beliefs because I share the same thing you said is like, what would be possible if we, we exposed these kids to these kinds of trainings well before, not before they, they need to use them, but maybe well before they, they fully embrace or understand them so that as they grow and develop, that as they're being exposed to more things, the things click. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really just opening their eyes to the idea that also exposing them to through the idea that what they're going through is perfectly normal. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, when they first come to the conversation with us, it's like, I'm the only one who's going through this. I can't believe, you know, sometimes I don't want to talk to people that I'm talking to a, a mental performance coach and, you know, which is understandable. It's not, it's not my job to share that they're working with us or our organization, but simply exposing them to the idea that their mind can be trained like any muscle in the body, I think is one of the greatest exposures that we give them and to give them tools to recognize that, hey, when you're heading to a soccer game and you're completely worried that you're going to fall on your face and, you know, if you fall on your face now, that means you're not going to get into Stanford. That means you're not going to play for the women's U.S. national team. That's not what that means. Right. You know, every every athlete on this planet has fallen on their face, literally or figuratively, many a time in their journey. Mm. And all of that is a part of the learning process. And just having exposure to what they're going through is perfectly normal and normalized, even if we don't talk about it that much, uh, is huge exposure for them. Yeah, massive. Uh, you know, some people might think, oh, I'm going to a someone that's going to deal with my mental training or, or a sports psychologist um, in that space. Or if we're in uh, if we're in the corporate world, if we get an executive coach or someone that's going to work with us, that things will happen really fast. But I, I know you're involved in a in a collaborative book and, you know, I'm co-authoring a book called Micro Shift, which was about small mindset changes for big results. So how can we apply that in our life? Uh, tell us a little bit more around what Micro Shift is all about. Yeah, it's a collaboration of seven different women and just some of the micro shifts in our life that have led to these big ripple effects. And that is one thing that we talk about with athletes is that what we talk about here, you may not see immediate results, right? And, and, and part of the challenge of, you know, thinking about it from the mental performance point of view is that there, there are very few tangible things we can measure as you go along to see, hey, are you increasing from a, a mental standpoint? And, and it's really all about recognizing when you're making the, the 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 small shifts in your life and what those things are leading to that if we if we as humans all step back and do a little bit more digging in terms of the 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 greatest successes we see in our life we'll see that they came from very the combination or the sum or the total whatever however you want to say it of small things we did in our life to then open up a brand new world for us and so you know we often talk with athletes that um it, it, it is the small things, right? I One of my favorite coaches, the coach who um, 
was taken from this earth way too early, used to say to us all the time, take care of the little things and the big things would take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of see the idea of micro shift and what that book at least is about for me is that, you know, when we focus on the little things and when we take care of the things that are most important that are related to the things we really want, those big things will come so long as we stay consistent in making some of those micro shifts and staying the course, even when it's really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And for you, you know, that obviously that space of shifting from athlete into the corporate world uh, was a challenge for you. And you're still learning. We we all still learn as we go along. I, but you, I know you like to, to spend a bit of time in the space around human design and the mm-hmm. importance of that. So how can one is first, because some people may not know what human design is about, explain what human design is all about, but then also how can we apply it effectively, whether we are leading a team of athletes or whether we are leading an organization or we are a parent with a fa- um, with, you know, with children, how can we apply this? Yeah. So that's a great question. So I'm, I'm really relatively new to the world of human design. I'm, I've just started getting into it in the last several weeks, but in the simplest terms, it's really all about understanding how you are actually designed. So it takes uh, a little bit of Eastern philosophy in terms of um, Chinese I Ching and some of Western astrology, but also pairs it with, you know, uh, quantum physics and, and, and metaphysics in order to kind of show that once you entered this world, how you were designed based on the time you were born and what that means for you. And, and the greatest thing about human design is that you don't have to believe it, right? It, it is all about experimentation. So looking at your design, how you were made and experimenting to see, hey, if I do, or if I act in a way that it says I am actually designed, will I experience more flow and success versus resistance and stress? And so that's the beauty of it is that you get to pick and play and kind of move in and out. And I think it has a number of different applications from coach to athlete, leader to employee, and even parent to child, because we all are born a certain way. And what it also shows us is how we naturally act and maybe where we are susceptible to conditioning and acting in a way that is against who we actually are. And maybe those that's kind of the biggest aha moment of if those are my areas of conditioning or where I'm most susceptible to act in a way that isn't natural to me, is that where I'm experiencing a lot of the most resistance I have in my life? So as a parent, understanding your own design and how that translates to your child. I actually do that a lot um, with my child. He was diagnosed with ADHD. And so it's really like medication didn't work, you know, traditional Western medicine didn't work for him. And so we've tried some, some alternative methods. And one day I had gotten to the point of, let me just look at this. Um, And it opened up a world. And I think it it applies to a coach and athlete and, and a leader and employee, because what it really does is help you understand who you are and, and and potentially how you were supposed to be designed and opens up a world to invite others to do the same so that you can see, here's where I really shine. Maybe here are my blind spots and where I've been conditioning and feeling resistance. How do I remove that for myself? How do I invite others to do the same? And in the corporate world, I wish that this had been given to me right when I came into the corporate world to say, hey, Here's where you might run into problems because of how you might be conditioned, how you've lived your life. Here's where you have all these strengths. How do we teach you the skills in terms of where you've been conditioned and unravel those a little bit for you to be the most successful within this organization? Very good. I like that. It's about unpacking to, but then expose yourself when you're at your rawest, so to speak, you know, so unpack Mm -hmm. you, find the raw um, strengths of you and expose them and see how that works and see how that plays out. I look to me, some of the best leaders I've worked with have not put, uh, have, have put us in positions where we are outside of our comfort zone, where we, we have to go and spend a day in someone else's job or, and then you really get to, and sometimes you find some absolute gems in it where you really find someone is totally in their wrong job. They might be doing a great job, but you put them somewhere else and they absolutely fly and you see their, their fire light up inside of them and they really come alive. And then, you know, for other people, it's, 
it's like whoa okay let's not do that again <laughs> their the body the body wasn't conditioned for that or their mind wasn't conditioned for that so let's let's try something else i would think that's yes. so valuable um so I, I love that you're diving into that space i've got a seven and a half week old girl uh or i shouldn't say old it doesn't sound right a eh? seven and a half week baby girl and congratulations thank you and and loving every minute of it and and obviously there's conditioning going on there's you're kind of experimenting with lots of things with them at this stage mm. to see how they react or respond or and and it's so early but you can also see glimpses of potential there of what's possible mm-hmm. um in that phase lots of fun so very good i love that um for you what has been your biggest learning uh in creating reimagined performance and what have you learned about yourself oh gosh the greatest lesson i learned was that i've always had everything i've ever needed to do to build a company even if i've never built it and a lot of that is rooted in what i learned or what i amplified as a swimmer that everything can be transferable and I don't have to keep those experiences in a box. I can continue to lean on them to continue to figure out who I am and use those learnings as micro shifts in the journey that I am on to build this business. Brilliant. Love it. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time. This is a kind of a, it's kind of a cheesy answer, but I feel like every single day as a business owner, you know, you wake up and, and, you know, particularly as somebody who's, you know, a little bit maybe more of a visionary than an implementer, which is what I am. Um, you know, it's always these new ideas and, and finding restraint in not running after everything, but figuring out what's the most important thing to run after now. Great. I love that answer. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually, no, I'm not going to share that secret. Uh, what is the one question that you would love to solve? Oh. Hmm. How did we really get here? Great question. That's the one question I love. How do we really get here? How do we really get here? I love it. For you, what is a what is your definition of an inspiring great leader? And who is someone that you really look up to, whether they are still here with us uh, or are a current leader? I think what makes a really inspiring leader is the one who knows and accepts themselves for all the strengths and maybe for some of the shortcomings that they have, and then creates an environment for everyone else to do the same without judgment or ridicule and true, complete openness uh, and empathy. Um, And the one who always comes to mind who did that in my life is actually the very first boss that I had when I was in human resources, I actually met her as an alumni uh, from our master's program. And she created that environment for me. And she was, was, and has always been, and will continue to be one of the greatest inspirations of how you meet people where they are and honoring who they are. Love it. Absolutely love that. Well done. Very good. Uh, Lauren, uh, I'm sure our listeners have really enjoyed this conversation today. So how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, well, if you are a high school aged athlete or a parent of a high school aged athlete or a coach or uh, a term we use in the United States, an athletic director of a high school athlete, uh, we'd love to speak with you, understand kind of what your challenges are and how we can support you or your athletes. And you can find us at performancereimagined.com or on Instagram at performance underscore reimagined underscore. 
Great. Or if you're an adult, LinkedIn, Lauren <laughs> Great. We'll put those links in the show notes and, you know, looking at some of the content you're putting out there and even your website, there's some great tools on there that no matter what you're doing in life are going to be really, really useful to you. Lauren, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I have loved sort of bouncing between this world of sport and also corporate life and parent life uh, and other areas of, you know, even when we looked at the shifting from an athlete to an artist and how we have that metaphor, uh, it's been really a great conversation. I, I love the work that you're doing. I think it's so important, not only in the athletic world, but also in general in life and the value that people can have from really diving deep inside and understanding what this through strengths and talents are and been able to actually apply them into whatever platform or situation you're in. Uh, so congratulations on the work that you're doing. I really love it. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to seeing your continued growth as a human being and as a leader in this space and helping the next generation of athletes and human beings as they explore the world uh, through your great work. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, Craig. Great. Craig, and congratulations to you on all your accomplishments as well. Thank you. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Where the ordinary don't belong.